Hello, everyone, and welcome to the audio intro for another episode of D&D. Danko Jones and myself, Damian Abraham's uh, bi-weekly normally podcast where we uh, intro our, well, we intro the YouTube video that you're going to watch on YouTube, hopefully, where we talk <laughs> about our records. But you can listen to this. We're going to have the audio after this as well, normally. Uh, this intro and this whole episode comes a week late because last week, uh, we learned just before I was about to post it of the passing of a friend of both of ours from very different points in our lives, but Dallas good. He was, uh, in the band, the Sadies. He also played in career suicide and played with everyone from Andre Williams to Neil Young, to Buffy St. Marie, to Nico case, to, to everyone. And he was, uh, you know, as we were just talking off air, uh, Danko and I, he was a real linchpin of the scene, eh? Absolutely. Uh, so many people are connected to each other through Dallas, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even realize it until, you know, his recent passing uh, just started to bring up memories of Dallas and I realized, yeah, there's so many connections that that were made through him. Of course, there's the um, high profile Buffy St. Marie and Neil Young, but there's also like yeah, like names we were throwing at each other before we started recording, like Ted Robinson and Andrew from Sloan as well, and uh, Bernie Pleskatch and Guilt Parade and the St. Natras and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because I I didn't meet Dallas till he was already like much like yourself on the cover of I as like the coolest people in Toronto. So I was number two, by the way, Dallas beat me out. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I was number two. <laughs> well, I thought you won a different year. Maybe. I, oh, no. wow. Wow. Will, see with, with Dallas and I, it was, it's funny because, you know, he got on the cover and of course, you know, I'm at home going, oh, Dallas did it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, to me, you guys are, interconnected that way because i look at you guys as being people that were giants to me as a kid you know and only now i realize you're only a few years older than me you know by the time (laughs) like you both felt like these these like you know kind of ancient rock gods you know that that were like obtainable too because you guys would hang out like I, i i ran in and talked to you at record stores like flash and crass i remember meeting you one time and just talking to you about music and i uh, you know, in Dallas in the same way, I'd see him at rotate this, but, you know, only years later becoming friends with both of you, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to kind of find out that like, yeah, you guys were intertwined previous to being on the I list. You guys are going to school together and taking the subway together. Yeah, we did take, uh, yeah, we did go to school together. Um, and I was, I saw Dallas. I talked to Dal. I saw Dallas the day after the very, very first Sadie's Jam. Oh, wow. Yeah, the day after. And he was talking about how he just, he jammed with Sean Dean and Ted Robinson, and he was so excited about it. And we were listening to him talk about it, and he played us the jam. I don't know if it was that day or uh, maybe a few a few uh, weeks later or a few days later. I can't remember because my old, old band used to practice in Dallas's house. So oh, wow. I had no idea about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so many things, I guess. Yeah. I don't really, you know, not a lot of people know, but yeah. And uh, Dallas and I took classes together. And of course, the, the one story I will say is we took this Cuban drumming class together. 
And the final uh, paper, we, we had to hand in a final paper to get the, the grade. Uh-huh. I took the whole week and the weekend to write my paper. And it must've been a thousand words. He shows up to the class and he tells me, I just wrote this on the subway coming <laughs> over here. And he got an A and I got something like a B or like a C plus. <laughs> that was Dallas. That basically that's Dallas. So when I, when I saw him, he was like the I magazine called him the coolest musician in Toronto. And I was number two. I was like, there he is. He's getting his A again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, relegated to B. <laughs> so that's how, it, that's how it always was. So, but, but uh, yeah, so that's how it is. And also I think I posted about this, um, my mom, out of everyone who called the house when I was living at home, she only talked about Dallas. And I was like, Dallas? It's not as if he called all the time. But when he did call, he made such an impression on my mom because he was yeah. so courteous. And I just know, I just know how he was with my mom because basically he would be so nice to her, like Eddie Haskell in Leave It the Beaver. And then when I get on the phone, he basically goes, Hey, you little shit. Did you like knock down my guitar when you were practicing the other day? You know, like that kind of, you know, that that's why it was always funny to me. And, and when Dallas passed away, um, I asked my mom, I'm like, do you remember Dallas? And she first thing she says, Oh my God. Yes. Dallas. How is he doing? She's just oh. told him, she totally remembered him yeah. and she doesn't know anyone else. Yeah. So yeah, he, he definitely would make an impression. Like I remember like, seeing him at rotate and i told this to jonah after he passed away because jonah and i uh from fucked up went down to the lobby and just kind of told stories to each other you know because we found it really early in the morning um when we were on tour and we're just telling stories and it's like i was like yeah it was almost like he was jonah said he like brought up he was like yeah it was like he was carved out of stone and i'm like yeah i was gonna say it was like he was carved out of ivory or something like he was this sort of like flawless statue you know and born into this music thing you know and i think that's the difference is like your your rock and roll journeys a lot you know both of you wind up in the same place you know and it's, it's both of you wind up through punk you know not to make something about this podcast but like but i really do think like your guys intersection point into music is both really the same place but it's different journeys because dallas was like he was born into music like look who his family oh, is he was born into like yeah like i guess canadian music royalty yeah i mean i don't know if that's saying so too much i think it is properly oh, yeah. stated yeah yeah no, and they, he carried it on he yeah. carried it on like yeah he, you know yeah. yeah i know he made it he he is like that's the thing about him and his brother like they turned it into something and it was always a family thing you know like they always brought the family along and um and like getting to do stuff with them, like I got to do a couple songs with them uh, live a few times. Like it was very much a familial ba- band feeling in a way that, you know, I kind of envy in a way, in a way that also I don't because it seems like it would be very intense at times. But like there was this sort of like clash, like this is a, you know, you're not a gang in the negative connotation, but like that was like the Sadies, like they they were like a unit. When it comes to the Sadies, JC in our band is a huge fan, like huge. Yeah. He has all the records and everything. Dallas, I think, always knew that I wanted the Sadies to go in a different way because when they started, they were more electric and more rock 
what I, the Sadie's that I know, I was like a huge, huge fan of because it was a full electric rock, rock, hard rock band. And because that's, you know, like you're saying, like Dallas has so many facets to his musicality. He yeah. could easily transition into that. Yeah, I think all of them do, too. It's like I was talking about this with um, my brother this morning. Like you break it down. It's like a punk supergroup. Like everyone had this other band and this other path through once again punk you know like mike was doing it through like his new york stories are amazing you know and then and then sean and guilt parade obviously and then travis and all the bunch of fucking goof stuff and uh, well sean was in flag camp and we were all we worshipped at the altar of flag camp so much so that flag camp's drummer was in our band eventually you know yeah well that's the thing flag camp seems like a band that i love the records i got the records but everyone's like no, you don't even understand. Like they were the band from Toronto in the way that. Oh, it's crazy. It was like a cult, and I like we were all part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when Dallas and Dallas was too, I gotta say because Dallas, when Dallas said that he's jamming with Sean, uh, we were all like, "What? Like you're you're jamming with Sean?" It wasn't like, "Wow, Sean's jamming with Dallas." No. Dallas gets to jam with Sean. That's how it was back then. It's so funny when I look back. But yeah, that's how. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's a, yeah, it's huge, huge. Yeah. Um, so we we as we we should definitely do more conversations. I got hopes of doing a tribute to Dallas episode at some point with everyone kind of coming on and talking stories when it's not quite as fresh for people. But uh, I just thought we should pop on because you're going to hear us in our usual. D laugh fest in a second and i thought we should both acknowledge dallas's passing beforehand and also uh, a great way to kind of help support this group right now because they aren't gonna be able to obviously tour or play music sadly um is uh going over to the sadies.net and grabbing some of this amazing music and grabbing a t-shirt and grabbing a weed grinder for dallas because uh, I'm sure we both can tell some amazing Dallas cannabis stories because I definitely have a few um, and supporting them and their families right now, because the rest of the Sadies could, I'm sure, you know, need a little help. So please. Anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Enjoy D and D anything else you want to add? No, no, no. You said it all. All right. Thank you everyone. I'll save it. I'll save it. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, what do, we don't have a name for this, do we? Not at the time of recording this. I was thinking LPs with D and D. Oh, that's what it was. That's what we said. I, I remember you. You floated D and D to me, and I was I, I liked it. When we start putting this up, everyone's going to be like. You know, these things are going to come out back to back and they're not going to realize how long of a gap there's been between these two episodes, except for the fact both of our shooting spaces seem to have changed dramatically. So that could also signal the passage of time. I have an extension here so I can be in another room now. Okay, well, I I got kicked to the basement because my son took over my old office. So I'm now in the basement and... uh, I feel like a record troll. You know, I feel like a little hobbit in his hobbit cave. I remember I went to, uh, do you know the band Hardskin? No. Hardskin's like this, like, 
kind of like the uh, like the Weird Al Yankovic of Oi, <laughs> which would, okay. they make fun of me all the time. So I feel like I can get back at them kind of. But like <laughs> they're an but they're like beloved by Oi fans. But they're right. also like make fun of Oi in you know pretty mercilessly. And uh, like we did a split with them and all this stuff. But I went over to the singer Sean or Fat Bob is his name in the band, but Sean Forbes' house. And he's also, like, been the buyer for Rough Trade since the 80s and stuff, right? Like, a notoriously amazing record collector. And his house, it was like it was built out of records, his apartment. Like, he, like his bed was on, like, crates of records. There was records behind the bed. You had to pull the bed out, which is full of crates of records, to get to the records that were behind it. There were, like, records in every nook and cranny of this house and i always wanted that and i feel like i'm close really yeah yeah because i i don't want that i've actually sold during lockdown almost a hundred records well i told the story i think i sold one time i sold uh i think it was 300 records and i took all the money and i bought one with all that money. you told me that that is a crazy way to be irresponsible. Be into records. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. That was like what I was fucked up was living a little higher on the hog then. So I felt a little <laughs> more comfortable in making such a kind of brazen financial decision. Hopefully that record keeps appreciating because I think I could sell it for more now. Um, but yeah, like I don't know if you know this, but collectibles are very hot. <laughs> that's what I, that's the uh, the big talk in the business world these days. Well, that's 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 cool. I mean, I've heard so many different stories about collecting records these days, um, but I don't listen to those stories. I just buy records because I think it's if it's cool. And yeah. my my uh, idea of what's cool, <laughs> as this show will show, is uh, definitely off the mark. I have a record today that you're going to think is way cooler than I think it is. it is. Okay. Oh, I love that. I think this is going to be one that you're going to be like, that's awesome. And I, and I can't wait to discuss this with you. I'm very excited about, I switched up my, for everyone watching, I switched up my pick at the 11th hour. Danko luckily was, was kind enough to let me do this. Uh, but I had another record here and it was going to be a much more serious conversation, but I'm going to put this back in the uh the box beside me and save that for another episode and i've got well, my other I mean, one right here since we're three three episodes in, this is our third episode and the first two episodes was i brought in a acting record and uh how to train your dogs record don't 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 feel like you know you you have to uh, uh bring in another uh, a goofy record too I, it's just what i'm into Oh, this shit is goofy. That's what I mean. Like, uh, oh, I just realized I didn't have my proper microphone on, so I apologize to everyone if I sounded like shit. Okay, I hopefully sound a little bit better now. Um, but no, I, uh, I, this is goofy. I got some goofy shit. That's the thing. Uh, who wants to? Oh, we're gonna flip that record, right? We got to flip a forty-five. We gotta, yeah, we got to do uh, flip. You know what? I this is gonna be sacrilegious, but I don't have that. Uh, you know, I guess I, could, I guess I could flip a record. I'm right beside my. Japanese Australian records like those are no I got I got a I got a crappy weird Christian Christmas record I can flip that's for sure all right this right here was a Oral Roberts Christmas Whoa. record that comes in the Oral Roberts mailer still 
Um, Wait a minute. Is this your pick? This would be no, a great. This is not my pick. That uh, would be a record I would try and find. <laughs> I got this at the uh, the pawn shop. Uh, not the pawn shop, sorry. The collectible store down the street from me, which is why I know collectibles are so hot right now because I follow them on Instagram and they keep posting about these sporting cards. Uh, sporting cards, you know, you can tell I like sports that go for <laughs> millions of dollars, Tanko. <laughs> like millions of dollars for like. A card that came out, like a Mike Trout card that came out, like, you know, eight years ago now. I don't even know. Like, I don't know. Maybe it came out four years ago. Who knows? Anyway, do you call uh, the, uh, the we'll call this the A side, and we'll call this weird side the B side. Do you call A side or B side? I'll call B side. Okay, B side. Okay, let's go. B side it is. We got B side coming up. I don't know up. if I won anything. I'm just... What does that mean? I go first? Yeah, and I'll give you this Oral Roberts record next time I see you. Remind me, because I uh, I can get rid of this, this one. I can definitely <laughs> let that one go. For sure. I'll, I will take it. Um, so is it my turn? I go first? Yeah, you go first. You go first. Or you got to, yeah, you go first. Do you mind if I have a snack before I talk about my record? <laughs> you can totally have a snack before you talk about your record. <laughs> the only reason why I ask is because my pick for this episode is the Chiquita Banana. What? The Chiquita... Wait a minute, there's, there it is. The Chiquita Banana album, which is basically... Which was put out by Chiquita Banana in 1984. Uh, it's a Dutch release, which is, which is odd because um, Chiquita Banana at the time was an American company. I think now it's a Brazilian-owned company. Oh, that's good. Uh, Kind of good, I guess, right? Like, I mean, considering everything. And it's a gatefold. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Weird. Is it like, are they characters? Is it like anapromorphic bananas? Well, I guess that is, I guess that's Chiquita herself, the Chiquita. Yeah, does she sing on it? No, so this is a compilation of banana themed songs whoa like um uh el banana bananero uh juanita banana uh yes we have no bananas is a song yep uh uh let's see a bunch of bananas jamaican rumba a lot of these songs actually i realized are very familiar to most people um big band numbers and you just know them. They just always play in the background. You don't know the name of them or who did them, but you just know who, what the, you know the song. And uh, this is a compilation of that. Is, and, is Banana the most popular fruit to write songs about? I'm trying to think. Um, I'm not. Apples would be up there, mm-hmm. right? And strawberries. I don't know. Oh, strawberries, I guess. Apples, I can't think of too many. Raspberry beret, which I guess kind of counts. Isn't I'm thinking apples. I can't think of an apple. I can't song, think of an there's apple gotta song. Be, there's got to be an apple song out there, but bananas. I mean, here's here's a little tidbit I have. This is a track off the record. <laughs> Everybody knows that song. But you don't know the name of it, so yeah. so that that's basically the whole album is kind of like that. Including the they do a cover of Abba's Chiqui- 
Chikatita. Oh, which is, is that all, about bananas? I, I don't think it's about bananas. It just sounds like Chiquita. It does. That's I, it. What I year did that come out? 1984 on CBS Records. What well, was like, you know, because there is, you know, obviously the there is a lot of uh, issues with fruit companies operating in the southern hemisphere um, all over the world, but certainly in South America at that time. Is Chiquita Banana, they're, they're one of the ones, right? They're one of the ones. There's so much controversy about them um, from, you know, using pesticides that affect workers to funding um, terrorist groups to all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. Like, I mean, I bought this not knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think the Chiquita Banana Corporation was receiving any of your money. <laughs> and this is a goal. <laughs> So I'm in the clear, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize, I just, you know, I saw it, uh, at, uh, where did I buy this? I bought this a few years back at, um, good music. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, when I saw that, I had to get it, I had to buy it. So it's, um, it's been, no, I was going to say it makes it way more sinister knowing that when you hear it like that. <laughs> so even now, yeah. yeah. But it's a compilation of like, you know, these weren't uh, songs commissioned by Chiquita. Yeah, these are they just you know called them all from from various parts. But it's it's a it is a weird Chiquita. It's American. It was American owned at the time of the record coming out. It's just it is just, it is a little odd. I mean, putting it in a 2020 frame. But I I like to to not do that. And just enjoy it and laugh at it for what it is. Yeah. I think so. that's also the great thing about used records, unlike streaming services, where streaming services, you're still putting money into the pocket of the person that you might not like, but you still enjoy a song by or are at least intrigued to check out a song by. You're, you're ultimately putting a little bit of money in their pocket. With a used record, they're not seeing any of that. Like, you know, the right. Chiquita Banana Corporation will not see a dime of that sale of that no. record, which is... Gives you a little bit of like, I don't know, I, I say this with a lot of privilege and I acknowledge that, but I think at the same time it does give you a little bit of distance from the evil that these records might have, you know, originally contained. It, it, it was the uh, it was the villain who bought this originally. Yes. That, that's who. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that is that's my record. I mean, I don't have a lot too much to say about it. I mean, let's see who's on here. Al Hurt, I mean, of note, um, but uh, a lot of a lot of uh, artists I'm not really familiar with because uh, you know it's it's of another kind of genre of music that I, I'm unfamiliar with. Like uh, maybe people know Mariachi Mexico de Pepe Villa, but yeah. I don't. So maybe that's like I mean, a huge name in the mariachi world. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, I mean, I must. It's like they're the Rolling Stones of. Mariachi, mariachi. I, I, so you know, th there's a lot of that, but there's Al Hurt is there. Uh, Percy Faith has a couple of tracks, and then, like I mentioned, the uh, ABBA cover that Caravelli does a cover of uh, the ABBA song Chikatita, um, which is an is an, it's just odd that it's uh, it's like a Spanish title but in English lyrics, but this is an instrumental on a Chiquita Banana album of a song written by Swedes. So I don't, I don't know. I had no problem cashing that check. 
or the publishing no. company that owns Ava's catalog, at least at that point, didn't. But exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, I believe it would be them. They're probably pretty shrewd with their business dealings. Do you remember Spy Magazine from the mid '90s? Yes, the, yes. Uh, I, I, my friend uh, gave me a Spy Magazine book. That's incredible, you know. Like he, wow. he worked for one of the former editors of Spy Magazine at Vanity Fair and was gifted like two copies of this book, and he gave me one, like sweetest gift ever. Thank you, John Ortfed, so much for that gift. Um, anyway, I was flipping through it the other day because you know, in celebration of what's happened politically in the last few days with the uh, the, the seemingly, hopefully, knock on wood, fall of of a, a tyrant, but um, they did a thing about the cheapest billionaires, zillionaires in the world. I think they called the article. And they sent checks for like 25 cents, blah, 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 to all these different millionaires, zillionaires. And one of the only people that cashed it, Donald Trump, 18 cents. Wow. So that's like, that goes to show you, that is how much, you know, maybe ABBA did know them they were getting this check from Chiquita Banana. Because, you know, if, if, if people are in that position or cashing checks for 18 cents, you know, maybe yeah. ABBA was that on top of their business dealings. Not to uh, say they're the same as Donald Trump, obviously. No, they're definitely not in the same ballpark. But, at all. But, uh, you know, sticklers to cash, for sure. They turned down a billion dollars to reform, according to legend. A billion? I know they turned down a lot of money. I heard it was a billion dollars, and it was going to be like... Oh, wow. It was like, you know, you know that would be like the entire tour gross or something, you know, which seems, now that I'm saying it out loud, really, really high. But I could see them playing, like... You know, like like thousands of people in every single stadium. City. Yeah, like yeah. giant stadiums. Like they would have to do like, like when the Pope came to Toronto type shit. Like you know when that Rolling Stones did that uh, SARS stock. You know that field. They they could and yeah. just by themselves. Like no opener. You know? No, no. How can you even open for ABBA? I would hope I... anti semix I would hope that Mob Forty Seven or anti semix You know, like they really got. You know, they, they like you know we want to we want to rep our country, and what's the next greatest export from our country after ABBA? It's 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 the D beat, the D beat hardcore. Right, right, right. I I mean, we've had a couple of the closest brush to ABBA that we've gotten, or I've gotten when when we've been in Sweden is well, number one, we we recorded at their old, old studios, Polar. Uh, studios in Stockholm. We recorded or we mixed an album there and I stayed at their hotel. They have a hotel called Reval in Stockholm. And that's my favorite hotel. You had a a very different experience than I did in Sweden. We were scared (laughs) to smoke weed because we heard that the venue was going to call the cops on us if we did. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a pretty hard line uh, stance on on weed in in Sweden. Although, although, Although maybe... Things all over worldwide are starting to lessen, but from what I, you know, what I gathered, yeah, there's a strong, although it's coming around, I think. One guy told me one time when I asked him if I could get weed, he was a guy that was working at a fucking festival in Gothenburg. And I was like, hey man, do you know anyone's got cannabis or anywhere I can get some cannabis? He says, do I look like someone that would hang out with bikers and prostitutes? I was like, What? No, but you'd well, be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> well, I, I think it. I think things are getting a little a little chilled out now, and um, and I think that's just because you know everywhere, you know, people are becoming a little more 
relaxed around weed, I think. People realize Hopefully. that the green generates another type of green. So I think that's also led to a lot There's of There's also too. that, yeah. This, is, yeah. this sounds like another podcast that I do. So I, I really have really brought yes. you down a path. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, and then oh, oh, I have another third thing. I've been to the ABBA Museum. Oh, really? So, yeah, that's also in Stockholm. So, so there's three little ABBA things that I can, I can say. I've never met any of them, although a friend of mine did. He, he met one of the women, or he not just met, but hung out with, at her studio or something. It was kind of crazy. Wow. But they're they're in not in seclusion, but they're not, they're hard to. Fine, oh yeah, like they got so much money. When Stay I heard, out of the public eye. When I heard the band Dead Can Dance lived in a castle, I realized that there's like a level of artists where you just have so much money, you know. Dead Can Dance. Yeah, you know that they're like '80s kind of goth band. Yeah, but did they? I've ne- I was never a fan, so I did they really generate that much money? Maybe it's not Dead Can Dance. Let me look it up real quick. It was some band on Beggars, uh, Banquet Records. When we were on that label. Uh, we were talking. They were like, "Yeah, they live in a castle because they made so much money." What's the band that does like "You Spin Me Right Round, Baby"? Right, oh, ra- um, dead or alive? Dead or alive? That's who I met. That's who I meant. Sorry, not taking dance. <laughs> Apologies to Dead Can just Dance. Had that one song. Yeah, but Dead it- Can Dance. I was like, "What did we miss out on?" Dead Can Dance. <laughs> <laughs> What did we do wrong? <laughs> yeah, this this they live in a fucking castle apparently. I this, mean, maybe it's like a cheap castle. Like, that one song. Yeah, and that song is huge, yeah. right? Like, and that's the time when you like when you would sell like three million copies of a twelve inch. You yeah, know? that's and, true. And that also probably I think got sick. Really he died though, singer. Yeah, so I could be wrong, but I think he's dead. So you're telling me there's probably a castle for sale right now. <laughs> Rest in an peace, empty castle. Yeah, exactly. or maybe just like, you know, the keyboardist lives there now. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I got, I guess I got the run of the place. Like, Jesus, <laughs> let's run around this thing. Let's see what's up. So, you know, I also heard an amazing story when I was in Australia. We had this guy drive us one day, who used to roadie for ACDC and for Rose Tattoo, and he was super tight with them. And he told us a story where because he was like really good friends with like the drummer of ACDC who passed away. Like some, Oh, um, what's his name? Is it Mark Evans? He, I don't know. Like, apparently he was like a complete psycho, like just like a, a wild man. And he told a story where they like got up, they were playing like two shows at like some giant stadium in Melbourne, uh, got up that day and was like, I want to buy a Ferrari. And so they went out and he just like bought a Ferrari at a car show. You know, like bought this like car and then they're driving. And at first they were like not going to sell it to him because they didn't think he had enough money. And then so he called the credit card company and the credit card company's like, yeah, that's a gold credit card. Like back in the day when no one knew what a fucking gold credit card was. It's like, give him whatever he wants. He's got whatever you want. So they're driving this Ferrari back and then they pass a boat show and they drive by this boat show. And he's like, oh, so they buy a boat and they just dock this boat. So they have a place to do drugs in the water, you know, like in international waters. This is just the drummer from ACDC? Yeah, that's how much money this guy was getting. He was out of getting shit, too, of the publishing, right? Jesus. Just makes you think how much, like, Angus and Malcolm. They got castles, dude. 
They got cast yeah. souls. You know? That's insane. The record and I'm going to talk about, the guy who's, he probably lives in a fucking castle somewhere. He's got a castle. Oh, so this is like a, a, a known guy. Oh, yeah. It's a known commodity. I would describe right. him as someone that you are a big fan of, even. <laughs> okay. I'm ready for this. All right. The record I'm going to talk about is someone I'm not really as much of a fan of, but this is the Howard Stern, How Weird Stern, uh, Weird Al Yankovic ripoff record that he did uh, back in the way. 50 Ways to Rank Your Mother, which is, of course, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Yep. And uh, this is a... Uh, a, a real interesting artifact. You know, this is like early on into the career, like classic. He hadn't, he hadn't really found himself in any sort of great way. Um, and it's also, I love it because it comes with a giant Ooh. poster, you know, and you have the poster of Howard Stern. There. So amazing. That is very I love that choice. That's a great. I, that's uh, very hard to find with a poster. I I didn't like. I I had never really heard about this record. I was in Rick's Collectibles. Rest in peace, Rick's Collectibles, an amazing record store at uh, Main and Gerard. And they always. Did you ever go to Rick's? I think I went there once. It was. They always had. If Rick wasn't working, it was a real crapshoot of who you're going to find behind the counter. Like sometimes it would be a kid. Sometimes it would be like some adult that was very bizarre. Sometimes it would be another adult that was very bizarre. Sometimes it would be a slightly more together adult that was equally bizarre, but in a different way. It was always very interesting people back there. Um, and so I was in there one day and I would just spend hours there because they had so many records, you know, and we dig. And I remember one time going to the basement, it to climb down a rope to get there because there was, the stairs had collapsed at one point. It was like, it's such a holdover from a different time, like a pre-Discogs era. Yeah, there. I mean, that sounds a lot like, for me, it would have been Vinyl Museum. Yep, definitely. Peter definitely. Dunn's Vinyl Museum. I just framed a Peter Dunn's Vinyl Museum uh, record bag to put on my wall. Oh, and that was, I mean, I really hated the record bags. When oh, I, I hate them too. I, but now that Vinyl Museum is no more, I actually... When I see it, when I pull a record out and I see that I bought it at Vinyl Museum, I go, oh, wow, that's so cool. With the Christian stamp yes. proverb. I mean, yeah. it's <laughs> terrible, but now it's great. That was the thing. Like, people don't realize, um, and, I, you know, obviously the world's a better place now in a lot of ways because of this stuff. But, you know, people talk about gatekeeping. And gatekeeping wasn't like a dude on the Internet being a dick to you because you liked a band gatekeeping was like having to go to places that sometimes were not good for your physical health, uh, dealing with people that were definitely not good for your mental health. Like as a kid, like, you know, and this isn't just record stores. I like stories about like the, one of the original comic book stores in Toronto sounds like it was a nightmare for kids that went in there having to deal with this guy that was very abusive. Um, and, you know, it was, like, no joke what you had to do to get with it. And, like, Vana Museum was at least a passive weirdness where it was just, like, you bought these records and you're like, why is there this weird bag with this proverb on it? But, you know, I definitely saw some weird shit at Rick's Collectibles over the years. I mean, that, that I have to assume, fetches a pretty penny. I, I've got that on 
MP3, but I don't have it in vinyl form. I bought this actually because no. this guy came in, one of the people that worked there. I wish I could remember his name because I'd give him a shout out. And he was like, just bought this at a swap meet in Etobicoke. And he was like, it was, he bought, I forget how much he paid for it. Like nothing. And uh, I'm like, oh shit, I'll give you 40 bucks for that. And uh, he was like, oh really? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And so I bought, just bought him off the, the dude as he was coming into the store. Wow. Type thing. Um, it, there's one song on it. That's why I love this record. That is actually kind of like a punk song. And it's kind of got like a punk rock feel. Like the rest of it's kind of just like Weird Al ripoff stuff, you know? And yeah, it's yeah. Kind of crude, and it certainly isn't like where he's at now. Like I think it's fascinating to look at it as an as like a cultural art artifact because he is now, uh, he, like you know, he's like kind of like you know, it's 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 him, Joe Rogan, Oprah, and uh, uh, Mark Maron, right? Like that would be like the big three of people that are doing the game that we're in. The big four. Yeah, like sorry. The, to- the talking game. The talking game, you know? Like, not, like, obviously there's people that do really well, but they're, you know, some of them are, are not worth talking about. So those ones are probably, <laughs> like, the, the more mainstream of the people that are, you know, doing really well in this thing. Well, I think he's he's cleaned up his, uh, his, per- his persona uh, over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I think he's become recognized for how great of an interviewer he is. He really is a great interviewer. Um, I think it frustrated him a lot because he went down that, that mm-hmm. hole that that record represents and he couldn't get out of it for a while. And, uh, slowly he was able to dig himself into respectability. I think people really recognize how great, um, a contribution he made to pop culture. I mean, some of that's like, I don't know about you, but when, when he came into the airwaves in, in Toronto, that's when I really started to listen to him. And man, I couldn't believe how great it was. You know, it, it was politically incorrect, but there were so many things they did, like, you know, take the piss out of celebrities and stuff like that. And, and, and have the Ramones on arguing with each other. I mean, that stuff is gold. You know, yeah, I I had a real different take on it. I think because like you had already kind of been through community radio and come out on the other side of it, and that was really during the height of my my like love affair with community radio. Ah, uh, right. And so to me, it felt you know like very crass, obviously, which I know is why people did like it at the time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like, and I do remember when the TV show came on which was a couple years later, I think they started showing the TV show here. Um, and I'd watch the TV show and just be like, you know, slack-jawed at, at what, what I was seeing. But that was like at a time where you had, you know, Tom Green on community radio, on TV or here, and you had like a lot of like shocking stuff. Springer. Shock jocks, yeah. Yeah, Springer. <laughs> and it, it was like a a real low point for, you know, not that we're not at another low point, but like it was definitely a low point for mainstream culture at that point so i kind of didn't get into howard stern you know and I, I would still describe myself as not that as into it i like i'm more obsessed with it as a cultural thing than i am to listen to it also like legit like beef for life with the way he treated dale crover in that interview where he was just uh, so disrespectful so disrespectful to the legend and i get it why but at the same time it's like dude 
It's like it's kind of like yeah, with Howard Stern and Joe Rogan, both of them, you don't go to them for music and no, no. any music knowledge or anything, no matter what they say. I hear Rogan has a secret punk connection. That's what I've heard rumblings Okay, you, that's a treasure map. You're going to have to figure that out. I like I, From what I've heard, he likes Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Have you watched that Lydia Lunch uh, video? Yeah, I saw oh. that a few years back, even before his podcast took off. Yeah. I, I, like, I think they... Both look bad in it. Oh, they look terrible. They both look terrible in it. It really. He looks worse in the end, obviously, because it's just like it's just like one of those things where you're like watching it happen. You're like, oh, this is fucking awkward, and then it just gets like kind of abusive towards the end. He also, yeah. And I was a huge news radio fan. I even liked some of that UFC stuff. I love that show. But yeah, like, you know, who would have thought that his character on news radio was him? Like this, like weirdo conspiracy obsessed, like you know, like weird, like office weirdo type. Well, then I mean, you could say Andy Dick wasn't too far off either. I guess. Yeah, that's why that show's so brilliant. They just went through and they were like, "Hey, what are you actually like?" Like they're writing, like, "Oh, this is fucking gold." Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm sure like Phil Hartman had shades of himself in there too. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, uh, that show was uh, yeah, that show was awesome. Oh, it's one of the best shows ever. One of the. Whew, I, I, if I was ever on that show, like his show, 100%, I would just power smoke weed. I'd be like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Every time I'm talking, you're smoking. Every time you're talking, I'm smoking. Let's just do a thousand dabs. You know, just like power dab with him and just hit him with news radio questions. Like every time you ask a question, be like, boom. Okay. Season two, like, you know, hit him with the news radio stuff. Right. Yeah, I don't like I don't really listen to the podcast too much. Uh, over the last few years, I'm I'm just going to reserve my opinion on it. But, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes I'll check in if, you know, David Lee Roth is on or Paul Stanley or something. But that's about it. There, There is like what got me initially to listen to him were mainly the comedians he'd bring on. Mm-hmm. And. Those were just funny discussions, and that was about it. And with Marin, uh, what initially got me to listen to it was how he was a, just initial episodes were him apologizing to him mistreating comics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was amazing. It's amazing how all these people we're talking about. I would not want to hear music advice from any of them. No, <laughs> like it's <laughs> not, not a music podcast. And Mark Marin plays his guitar. I mean, he's actually a pretty good guitar player. He uses it as intros and outros on the show. Um, but I don't know. I saw it's... him snatch a guitar out of me. We were backstage. Oh, that we'll save that one for another day. That's the that's. But I saw him anyway. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, yeah, like that's the thing. I'm not. I I I like uh, your podcast and I like pro wrestling podcasts, and that's what I, I tend Thank to you. listen to. Um, and uh, and of course the best show calls with John Worcester and stuff like that. But I do have like as I say appreciation for this record on like a, a cultural level, and also that one punk kind of sounding song on there. But you know, as in terms of uh, you know like impact that yes he has had it's it's amazing when you look at something like this it's inspiring that like here's this dude just like a regional radio guy ripping off weird al and years later you know he's 
banning uh, my favorite uh, radio caller on those wrestling podcasts, Hanzi, from his famous radio show. Well, uh, I dropped Hanzi on you there. I slipped that in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was Hanzi was a, a guest on our podcast uh, a long time ago. Um, I don't know what happened to Hanzi. I still think, I talk. I hear Hanzi every week. Every week he's on a, he calls in all the wrestling podcasts. I see. That's how I know him. Yeah, I met him. He uh, came up to me at an event and so he's like, yeah, blah, blah, I'm Hanzi. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, for the wrestling thing. He's like, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you were the first guy that knew the Howard Stern thing. And I'm like, what Howard Stern thing? He's like, oh, that I used to call Howard Stern. And I'm like, dude, I've never heard Howard Stern in my life. So I do not know. <laughs> I do not know what you're talking about on this one. And then. I found out the whole story later on. But we don't have to get into that. That has been litigated on the Howard Stern show and on message boards many times <laughs> over at this point. I was I was fascinated just listening to Howard Stern and hearing there's a guy, I think he lived in Mississauga. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a guy from Mississauga talking to Howard Stern like every other day. He's legitimately so. famous because of that. Like my friend, uh, shout out to Nick Woj from Cold World, when Cold World played here, they tried to get him to come to the show. Like they were like reaching out to try and get him to like come to the show. They're like, we got to meet you. You know, my manager, when I told my manager, I met him, he's like, Oh wow, that's wild. Like, you know, and you, you've had him on the podcast, you know, he's, yeah, he's well known. And it's, it's so separate the wrestling world from the Howard Stern world, but the Howard Stern world is massive. Like Fred Armisen said, being on that show was one of the highlights of his like career. Oh, really? One yeah, of his, his personal highlights. His yeah. episode's really interesting because he loves it so much, and it's just like him fanning out. Well, I mean, we went into the studio. We were given a tour of the studio when we went there when we were doing some sort of press tour, and we got to walk through the studio. They had already left a, an hour before, but we saw Baba Booey outside, and um, then another time I was at Sirius, and Howard walked by, and we went. We were on the air, actually doing an interview, and I, I went. I kind of started waving my hands at him, and he, he kind of <laughs> did his papal wave at me. It was kind of cool, but that was. And then I, then he, when he was gone, we were still on the air, and I started talking about Howard Stern. So that was that's my oh. New York uh, Howard Stern uh, sighting. So it was ABBA. I gave you my ABBA brushes with ABBA fame, and now Howard Stern. Yeah, there we go. I have. I have not Brett breathed 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 the same air as howard stern ever um you know neither so. have i he was in a we were in the studio the, the window was there so. i did breathe the same air as beyonce one time whoa yeah we played we were doing a bbc session and we were in the big studio because she wanted to record in that smaller studio the john peel studio and so we shared a common room and she came walked through the common room and waved hello to us and and yeah like that's like one of the few people I've seen in real life where you're like, you know, like celebrities don't have an aura, like when you see them in real life, but then there's some that do, and she definitely did. Hmm. Superstar. Right. I, I, auras, yeah, that's hard to say. Because, I mean, you're just projecting what... No, she yeah, had a projecting... legitimate aura. Like, I think it would have picked up on a photograph, yeah. even. <laughs> <laughs> I think Lemmy to me was yeah, someone. Yeah. To me, I think he was like, in my mind's eye, I think he's like seven feet tall. Whenever I'd see him, uh, but he, he, I mean, he's tall. But I, yeah, I don't know. 
I haven't really met anyone who had that aura, but Lemmy would probably be the one. I never met Lemmy. I would love to have met him, rest in peace. But uh, yeah, like uh, I could see that. I could definitely see him having it. I'm trying to think of like other people I met where I was like, damn, like you got like a thing going on. Uh, yeah. Not really Beyonce. Beyonce, you know, more than more than just about anyone. Uh, Beyonce would definitely. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp had it. Really? Yeah. Johnny Depp had it? Yeah. Johnny Depp definitely had it. Um, I mean, he's like very attractive. I didn't realize it was him at first because right. he had all this makeup on. And then when I did clue in, I was like, holy shit. Like, I just thought it was this dude with this aura. And then I was like, oh, shit, it's Johnny Depp. Really? Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, we oh, smoked that's... DMT before we went to the show. And in my DMT trip. What? Yeah, I predicted his his makeup. How do you then, how do you know you saw Johnny Depp then? Well, because your DMT only lasts like seven minutes and then there's like no hang. The only hangover afterwards. Doesn't it feel, feel like seven years? No, that's I think ayahuasca more. DMT mm. feels like DMT was to me like like the most interesting drug because you're 100 percent. At least when I did it, I didn't I didn't cross over, which is where you go to like meet your maker and you come back. change. Yeah. I didn't do that. I went to what they call the waiting room, but I didn't know about any of this shit. Like, I didn't research this stuff. I was just like, you know, what is, what is DMT, right? So I smoked the DMT. We met the coolest drug dealer ever in Australia. I smoked the DMT in the hotel room, and we're all in the bed bedroom, like all the fucked up. And, and then, like, I smoked it off some weed. And then I go to this place where I'm in this room, and there's all these elves working on this machine. They look like clowns to me, but I found out later on that when you go there, it's always elves of some sort. And they printed out this, like, geometric kind of pattern, right? Like, this, like, black and white pattern. Like, very distinctive, right? And they're, like, working on this thing, printing it out. And then they're waving to me. And it's not creepy or scary. And then they're working on a machine, like, in the movie Metropolis. And then I open my eyes and all the buildings are melting. And then the trip is over. And we're, like, and you just feel really fucking awesome. You're, like, it was honestly, like, like, the least anxiety I think I've ever felt in that afterwards and so it's really yeah. weird so we go and then i'm like so what's happening tonight and they're like oh the foo fighters are playing in town and we're like fuck we know those guys so we hit them up and we're like can we come to the show and they're like yeah for sure so we came to the show you know like everyone in fucked up leaves because they always would leave as soon as the foo fighters started playing type thing and so i hung out just me and this australian drug dealer and the foo fighter security guys like go back to the dressing room say out of the guys and so i go back to the dressing room and then all sure enough there's uh, this guy on the couch rolling up joints with his face paint on. That's like the same as the fucking face paint from my trip. So I like look over, say hi to everyone. And then the guy with the face paint is like, do you want to smoke this joint with me? And I'm like, sure. So I take the joint and I smoke it. And we're both smoking it, passing it back and forth. And at this point, he's like, my name's John. And I'm like, and at this point, I like, I look and I'm like, oh, I can see through the makeup basically. And it's Johnny Depp. You know, he's got a bunch of makeup on, but it's, it's a thousand percent Johnny Depp. And I, so I, I don't want to ask him about, you know, being in these movies or anything. So, I, you know, I, of course, go to the one thing I know about, which is like, did you play in a punk band in Florida back in the day called the Fast Cars? Because I read in Spin Magazine that he had played this show with his old band at some point called the Fast Cars. And he's like, no, man, we were called the Z Cars. And I'm like, oh, shit, do you like punk? He's like, Florida punk is my shit. So we just start going back and forth about bands, right? Like just throwing out band names. And then he's like, do you know this band, The Screaming Sneakers? And the day before, in Melbourne, Australia, my friend Clint Chapman 
had um, given me this this record that he got, which is like a brand new bootleg that just came out of the Streaming Seeker 7. And she's like, here you go. Like, take the, take this record, you know. I got an original. So I have that in my backpack. So I'm like, yeah, you mean this band? And I pull up the 7-inch. And he starts tearing up. And it's like a total Rosebud moment. And he's like, that's my ex-girlfriend on the cover. I fucking loved her. It was the singer. He's like, I loved her. And it's like this total weird Rosebud moment for him. And then he hugs me. And then we smoke more weed. And then we talk more about punk. And then his friend taps him on the shoulder and goes, John, we have to go back to set. And I thought his friend was his manager. Turns out his friend is actually, uh, was Davey Havoc's, uh, Davey Havoc knew his friend weirdly too. It's just like some random dude that hangs out with him. So it's all like this weird interconnected circle involving all these people I knew. And it all goes back to smoking DMT. <laughs> you need to do drugs. <laughs> I want to meet Johnny Depp. Yeah. You got to do DMT to do meet Johnny Depp. Like it's like, hey kid, you want to meet Johnny Depp? Smoke this shit. <laughs> well, my question about the DMT would be like, everyone talks about these elves, but how about the elves, man? They seem like they're so busy. Like, what's their life about? They're in your brain. Like, apparently, they're the elves that make your brain work. <laughs> So we all got these elves in our head anyway, you know, and they're working. They're happy working. They're like ants, I guess, you know, and they just want to meet you. Give them a day off or like a holiday. Dude, that's what when you smoke the DMT, that's what it is for them. You know, they're chilling. They're waving to me like, hey, hey, it's great to see you in here. Thanks for coming down. You know, it's like the boss, boss coming to visit the workers on the line, you know, and then everyone goes back to work. I felt really like, honestly, I didn't believe in any of this hippie bullshit, any of it. You know, and then I started smoking weed and it opened the door to it. But then, like, I smoked DMT and I didn't had I didn't read any of this stuff. I hadn't like studied it, and here I am, meeting Johnny Depp, giving him his rosebud moment, at the same time as uh, you know, I'm smoking all this weed. That is a pretty heavy moment. Now, were you able to like keep the friendship going? With no, Johnny we haven't Depp? talked since. No, no, no I wasn't. I, I, I kind of think he then went, he had a rough patch after that, you know? Like, I think meeting right. me was kind of like, he would be like, well, this was it. This was the apex. I'm in Australia. I'm meeting <laughs> this kid, Damien. He showed me this fucking bootleg of a seven inch. He should have just hung out with you, man. He would not be in any. We would just be buying records and smoking weed, you know? But but I understand his his life is a little, a little crazier than yours and mine. Um, on a minute by minute basis, yeah. but when you're like smoking and some guy's talking about your some band and your old girlfriend and all this stuff on the, you know what I mean? Like when you go, hey, I should maybe keep in touch with this guy. Yeah, I know, I know. Maybe I should have given my number, you know. But I think it's like at that point it's kind of presumptuous, you know. It's like no, I'm talking, I'm I'm talking from John. I should know this guy. Well, he might have been intimidated by me, you know? Like, here I am, coming in here. True. He's like, fuck, this dude knows so much shit. Like, this guy's down with the foos. Can't hang, he's with the foos. He's like, no, I don't know. I like, I, I would have, but it, like, it would be like hitting on your server in a restaurant. Like, it's like, just like, a, I think, like, trying to give Johnny Depp your phone number. Like, dude, hit me up sometime. You ever want to talk about it seven inches? Uh, give me a call. And I, I'm the type of Punisher that has done that to people. And rarely do they call you. No, I, absolutely. I think what you did was the right thing. But for Johnny Depp, he should have been the one to go, yeah. listen, 
we got to stay in touch. Oh, he fucking regrets it now. I bet. I bet I'm he. Sure he. I'm sure he. <laughs> yeah, you're you're the rosebud now. Yeah, you become the rosebud. <laughs> I, one day, one day we're gonna meet again, and it's gonna be the most epic podcast. Also, friend, mutual friend of Melanie K told me a story about when they were shooting uh, Twenty One Jump Street in Vancouver. She was there with DOA, and DOA were extras in the episode. And they invited Johnny Depp to see DOA play that night. He unfortunately politely declined, couldn't make it. But, you know, so I could ask him about that, too. So I got two punk things to talk to him about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's probably right now going, ah, I think his name was Dave, Davian? What the hell? What was that guy's name? I got to find that guy. I'm telling you, he's, he's, the guys in Holy Fuck are probably getting messages from Johnny Depp right now. Like, yeah, I found you, <laughs> Canadian man. Exactly. B Square, Holy Fuck, that was it. From Canada. <laughs> from Canada. Got it. Holy Got fuck. it. Swear word. Oh, I knew it. I knew oh, it. I thought your name was Dave, Davian. It's Brian. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Oh, good. B Squared. Uh, no, uh, it, um, uh, we actually got confused for them one time. Fucked up. So by me by you yeah i i was gonna go see you remember when we oh, met yeah 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 because <laughs> holy fuck we're playing the same day i <laughs> yeah. think and i was and i think i got the, the the stages mixed up or something it was it was we that. played super early that day we were like the first band and there were a lot of canadian bands playing that festival was it lowlands holland lowlands yeah yeah in holland where <laughs> this was this came out it all comes back to the chiquita banana very yeah, definitely that. No, we also one time uh, a uh, a person came up and got very angry at with us after a show in Halifax because we sounded nothing like our record. And then he was like, you know, he's like, I'm just I'm just gonna go and tell people that holy fuck is just completely fucking different live. You guys should let people know. And we're like, what? Holy fuck? We're like fucked up. He's like, oh, my bad, and walked away. Uh, Brian told me though that one time that journalist came up to him. And he was like, I'm really sorry, guys. I prepared for to interview this band and held a, uh, a bunch of research about fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I've worked with half of Holy Fuck. Really? Yeah, yeah, we've worked. Because it's, uh, what's his face? Kevin, Brian. I've worked with Graham. Kevin and Brian. Okay, okay. From Holy Fuck, yeah. Uh, Brian used to live at the end of my street. Oh, really? Yeah. He now moved away. He lives in New York. Or, no, no, he lives like he lives in Europe or something. Maybe or something. I know he's not in Toronto. Yeah, he moved. He moved. This. That's why I love this podcast is because now we're going to weird places that I never thought we'd go. <laughs> Holy fuck, Abba <laughs> and Howard Stern and Johnny Depp. Yeah, we got some good stories. You, you know, you breathing uh, Howard Stern's air. You know, being being proximity to greatness. Oh, I guess so. I was in the studio, so yeah, he had yeah. just left. Yes, that's, that's what, true. I, it's like it's close to I breathe Beyonce's air. You could well, sell that you, hair. You kind of did. I mean, she shared the room with you, well, right? She was. She probably took. She took legitimately one look in the room and was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna chill with I'm these breathing. motherfuckers." I'm like, no yeah. thanks. Oh, there's no scented candles or yeah. draping. Here. Yeah, peace, peace. And there was also, to be fair, there was also an orchestra 
that was here in the room with us too. Like oh, a, a well, drink section. So geez. there were a lot of us in that room that day. BBC's busy, you know. It's, it's a, oh, BBC. Yeah, right, right. Holy yeah. cow! Yeah. yeah, it was a uh, not a good performance for us, by the way, either. So did Beyonce, what was it, Beyonce did not Holland? rub off? No, it was like BBC Radio. Oh, okay. I think it right. was for the indie rock show, but it might have been for that punk show that they also had for a while. It wasn't for the... They've got a rock show now that's kind of taking the place of the punk show. So it wasn't for that, though. We've never been on there. We've I've, I've been on there once. That's it. We were on one time on the punk show, and at the end they'd like, can you guys request some songs, you know, like the usual stuff. And Jonah tried to get them to play the business's cover of the of crasses do they owe us a living and the guy's like i'm sorry we can't play any oi on the show it was like an american guy too we we're talking to him in california it was very bizarre wow. um, he's be hosted by an american guy and uh i'm like what and he's like well you know just oi music blah, blah blah and i'm like not the business and certainly not crass so like i think you might be misled on these assumptions with these bands they're thinking it's like some hard right wing kind of band or something I, I guess this guy was woefully ill-informed about these two bands like yeah like i don't know business business is not that way and, and crass certainly is not that way either but you know maybe he felt that maybe he felt that oi should have been only right wing and that was his problem <laughs> no no i mean the other way you want to play something really sketchy i'm down for that uh, that was an awkward well, note to leave it on the, the well the bbc show that i was on uh, was the Bruce Dickinson show. Oh, that, he had a show? Yeah, he used to host this show. I still have the BBC tag. Yeah. Um, so, he, so he ended up interviewing me. So he was the interviewer. Whoa. And then, but uh, I used it as a chance to get him on my radio show. So after that interview was done, we switched seats and I interviewed him. So Damn, that's a move. Yeah. I did that yeah, with Jesse awesome. Brown, but it's kind of like a less of a caliber of star. Uh, Jesse Brown and Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. I, I, I mean, if I, if I meet Jesse Brown, I'd be like, oh, that, that's cool. I listen to Canada. You're the Land. Bruce Dickinson of Canadian media. <laughs> Canadian journalism. You're like, <laughs> Can you fence? Can you fly a plane? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was it. And, and, and Bruce was cool. Bruce was really nice to us. So that was really cool. I smoked weed with his son when we were on Soundwave with them. That was the closest I got because his son's band, remember, was on tour with us. Too. I think you were on that oh, Soundwave cool. that year with us. That was the year that we all did together in Australia with Iron Maiden yeah. headlining. No, oh. it was uh, Metallica. Metallica. Oh, okay, no, no, this was the Slayer. This was the other year that was Iron Maiden headlining. Yeah, and uh, they had their plane, and the kid we were smoking weed. He's like, "You want to come on the plane?" And I'm like. That would oh be God. amazing, but then our tours never linked. You know, our days never crossed again, and we were never uh, on the same thing. So, those were the best. Is is they would people don't realize the Soundwave Festival would would hook would, would cluster bands together. So we got, got clustered in with. We weren't with you guys, no, were we? No, we were because uh, you guys. I find they cluster you with who they think, think. you sonically fit in with. Well, we were we were with Madball and Sick of It All. Oh wow, that's different. Okay, because like we were with like one year it was like H2O and Terror, and one year it was Polar Bear Club and yeah, that was, was 
you know, it was, was our year. Yeah. Okay. That was that year. That was then. We were with Duff. It was Duff. Duff's band loaded. Uh, Sick of it all. Madball. Uh, Visions of uh, disorder. Dis- disorder. And uh, another band. But I mean, my God, some of those bus rides to the festival from the hotel, the shuttles. It was just Madball took control. C- control of that bus and everybody was laughing i was crying they were telling like vinnie stigma stories it was awesome yeah i i thought that also freddie was like the nicest dude on that tour i ran into him a couple times on the street and he was always just like hey how's it going how's the tour been they're all like, wow, really nice super they're cool so, oh man it was just like it was great it was great and and but then we were partnered up with uh loaded Oh yeah, the that, old tour. yeah. That's because well, that's when I hung out with Duff. Was when uh, yeah. Well, actually, that was the second time because the first time, I just kicked open his dressing room door and just started punishing him about uh, the fastbacks and the farts and the silly killers and et cetera, et cetera. And then luckily, we we recorded that too. So check out Danko's yeah. podcast with Duff and me just punishing. Luckily, the that's shit he's the nicest guy in rock and roll. So he is pretty much he's he's right there. I think so for like the stature of of personality compared to like how cool he is. He's yeah. the coolest. Yeah. I've met anyone who's cooler than him. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, you know him better than I do, but I, I, I'm like, you know who I recently, Drea DiMatteo from the Sopranos. Yeah. You're telling me she was on the podcast, right? Disarming. Like I was just like, damn, you are like way cooler than you should be. It's cool. Like Duff's the same way when you meet someone and they're like way cooler. It's better than when it goes the other way. When you meet someone, you think they're cool, and then, you know, years later, they're like fucking Trumpers or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about anyone specific. No, no. <laughs> the first time I met Duff on that tour, like, I'd, we'd met him before, but the first time I saw him. He that was the first time you met him? No, no, we'd met him before. Okay, okay. Um, uh, but the first time he came up to me on that tour, he goes, I heard you're running for mayor. Are you running for mayor of Toronto? And that was when um, Rob Ford was the mayor. Yeah. And I and I wrote this article about how I should be mayor, and this is what I do, right? And I had all these like you know crazy ideas. Um, but it's cool, cool that he you know kind of saw the headline and saw the article, you know. So that was kind of cool. It would be amazing to see who you got as endorsements for your mayor mayoral run. <laughs> it would be like Bruce Dickinson, Duff, and then it would be. Uh, uh, you know, some weird comics that have been on the podcast too. <laughs> we get like a, <laughs> I get, I get Gowan. Gowan is actually Larry Gowan. I want to get him on my podcast. Gowan, the guy who smashes watermelons. No, that's Gallagher. Oh, oh Gallagher. Although very close. Um, uh, he sings in sticks. Oh and, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Gowan also has Gowan solo records. And yeah. And he was like a huge Canadian pop star in the eighties. Yes, of course. With strange animal and criminal mind. And, we met each other two years ago at Sweden Rock, which is an amazing festival, and we played with Sticks. Wow. Which is, yeah, like it's awesome. And so, uh, you know, it was raining when we played. The day that we played, it was complete pouring rain. Great thing is it didn't rain when the bands were playing. It was crazy. So in between our set and Sticks's set, it's just pouring rain. Larry Gowns in the van, you could tell the band's just, oh, they're just hating this rain. I went up to him like, hey, man, 
I'm from Scarborough, man. And, and I started to like <laughs> name some people we both knew. And he kind of brightened up immediately. And he's like, oh, wow. And then right before they were going to go on stage, Son came out. He came into our dressing room and he just like chatted it up. And he, we talked about, you know, uh, Scarborough and because I think he lives around the East End. And, uh, you know, Don Mills and where'd you, where, where, where do you live and where'd you grow up? And, uh, oh, I grew up in Willowdale and it was pretty wild. It was a lot of fun. So I kind of want to get him on the podcast. I don't know what that has to do with anyone. Well, that's fine. I, I, you know, kind of similar story, uh, about meeting bands backstage. We played some show and, uh, the Swans were playing. It was in, um, uh, it's in Spain at Primavera Sound. And we were on the same stage. And so I'm in, we're in our dressing room. We got our, our, a bunch of our friends there. We're like, you know, we're all having fun. And then all of a sudden I look up and there's that dude Blixa from the group, you know, uh, Swans. And he's just Blixa Bargel. Dr- drinking all our beers and eating our food. And he's bringing his kids. He's bringing some other people from his group in and they're eating our food. I'm like, yo, 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 what's up, man? He's like, what's up? I'm like, you're in our dressing room. He's like, this is all our dressing room. I'm like. No, motherfucker, read the door. <laughs> and he's like, well, I can take what I want. And I'm like, the fuck you can. <laughs> and so we threw him out of our dressing room. And that was my meeting friends backstage story. Blitz I was just like, what the fuck? Like, who, like, that, like, you know, as someone in a band, you do that shit? Like, you're lucky it wasn't Madball. If it was oh. Madball and you tried to pull that shit... Like they would have stomped your ass back to New York, and then they would have shown up at your house in New York and beat you up again. Like it was like, no joke. It's like there's been ugh. people in bands who have done that to us. I don't know if I should out them like you out outed Blixa. Well, he he's also he's been outed on my podcast by several people as not being cool, and so um, you know it was, and I didn't even realize who it was till after the fact. I'm like, who the fuck was that dude? And someone's like, oh, that's Blixa. I'm like. Oh, tell him to come back so I can kick him out again then because like that, you don't act that way. No, you don't. I mean it ha- I mean I don't know if I should out the guy's name, but he was he was in our dressing room eating our like candy and we just thought it was so pathetically hilarious. We just let him eat it. You can say my and name. Then, it's okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it was uh it was in Europe. Let's just put it that way. We were playing some festival. So that muddies the water waters a bit, but it was it's funny. It, I know. I know, and I'm also one of those people that you come into our dressing room if you're like a fan who's got a backstage pass and you're like, "Yo, can I get a beer?" I'd be like, "Sure." Or if you did it accidentally, you know, you're like, "Oh shit, I'm sorry." Like, you know, my bad. I'll be like, "Oh, that's totally fine." But the fact that it it escalated and he tried to throw us out of our own dressing room whew. that's crazy. Whew. That's nuts. I mean, I'm talking just candy. I mean, if. I, I hate it when people come in and they just like eat our fruit and drink our drinks. It's like, hey, we're you live here, you know, we're thousands of miles away from here. This could be our food, you know. Like, yeah. People don't realize that either. I, I that's uh, when I hate. I hate that. That's why you got to power smoke just to make everyone super uncomfortable. I got a friends band. I can't say who they are because they don't really talk about their consumption. But my God. They're backstage. Like, it's amazing seeing, like, music people show up because they have a dry backstage. They just have weed. And, like, so, like, record label, people from the book, they just show up and they'd be like, ah, I don't know what the fuck to do. Power smoking weed all around them. There's no beers. They're like, see you guys later. 
like just yeah, that's leaving. The, that's the, what I'd prefer too. I mean, it's great to meet people backstage, but I'm exhausted, you know, and, and I, I'd like to say hi too, but not at the expense of our complete rider. That's what I'm saying from the takeaway from today's episode is not this Howard Stern record, not that you get a banana record. It's that you need to start doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, you know me. <laughs> no, I know, I know. You are, you are my, we were going to form a straight edge band together, but then I went and sold out and I believe Dallas Green sold out. So I believe now the straight edge band would just be you. I'm still down, man. Zeke style. Statement. Statement from the UK, the one man hardline band that quit hardline. But anyway, that's for another episode. <laughs> this is fun. I love doing this show. This is great. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't know we'd, we'd end up talking about ABBA and Johnny Depp. No, that's why I think, like, ultimately, we're bringing, you know, two weird records each week. But where those weird records take us, that's the real magic. Yeah. Totally. And I love the, I love the stories. I love the, uh, I love hearing the stories. The Johnny Depp one is classic. Uh, so I guess we should probably sign off now and say, Oh, thank you. The Johnny, the Johnny Depp one is my best story. Like I've like, I can't believe I haven't punished you with that before. Cause I'm like, that's like, I tell people that like within normally 10 minutes of meeting them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) what do you do? Uh, Well, I met Johnny Depp once and let me tell you the whole story. (laughs) You smoke DMT. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty cool, dude. I mean, Bruce Dickinson's not interviewing me, so you know we're we you know. Yeah, but you, you, I don't know. It's 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 a great story. I well, drugs. You know, drugs always lead to an interesting story. It might not be a good story, you know, and and obviously weed. I don't lump into this. I mean, but DMT specifically, you know, it it doesn't always lead to happiness. But it leads to adventure. It does, <laughs> I think, from what I've heard. Do you take my word for it? <laughs> uh, I guess uh, we should sign off and say where people can find us, right? Sure. I just, do you know the details of that at this time no. and place? Well, I figure they're going to be watching this at a place. So they already know where they can find this. But I meant where they can find us outside of this oh. weird, nightmarish world we've created for ourselves. Right. So, okay. For me, Instagram is Danko underscore Jones. Twitter is at Danko Jones, one word. Facebook is one word Danko Jones. I also have my next level record collecting Instagram. An essential follow. Thank you. Which a lot of these records have been posted. So maybe don't follow so you can, (laughs) you know. Be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It's like previews. You don't know when they're going to come up, you know? Yeah. Maybe people are going to start doing bets on it, like fantasy uh, LPs with D&D, you know? Maybe. They're going to be like, oh, I think next week he's going to have this one. I know it because I saw it on the IG. I was wondering, like, do do we do – can I do, like, if it's one record from a collection or a series of records, Yeah. which one do I pick? Can I do – do I pick one to – 
to represent the series. Well, I kind of like, I think I established that one on the first one when I did the Montrico one that, you know, I, I showed all of them. So I figure you, you obviously okay. have the okay. same rules extended to you. Um, okay. Maybe like, yeah, let's just do, yeah, do the whole series. Cause like, you know, might as well, there's so many records to get to, you know, I know when you hit your Len picture disc that you've officially run out of records. So that's when we then we you know that we're gonna have to figure out a new format. That's gonna be yours soon, I think. That's uh, the trade, right? That's Your the big Oral trade. Roberts, yeah, the Oral Roberts. My Len <laughs> picture disc. Uh, I don't feel bad stealing your sunshine, but I'm prepared to do it. Oh, you're not stealing it. I'm giving you my sunshine. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, if you're looking for me and my sunshine, I'm on Turned Out of Punk uh, on. Instagram or Facebook. Those are by my brother who produces the podcast Turned Into Punk, which is on all the podcast platforms. And personally, I'm on social media at Left for Damien. And uh, uh, I also do this at the Punk Wrestling Connection thing, but I haven't updated that in forever. So, you know, I got I got a good a lot of good more a lot of good more. I've got a lot of great other photos I should be posting on there, but. I don't know how you find the time to maintain two Instagram accounts. That's that's wild. Yeah, I have four. Four. I have at next level record collecting. I have Danko underscore Jones. I have next level book club. Oh yeah, next level book club. Yeah. <laughs> and I have uh, memes of Danko or for Danko. I changed the name just because people make memes of me, so I post those. Okay, I remember. I remember you also. Yeah, so like you've had four, yeah, I don't know, I, I got one one and I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. But now that I'm in the basement, maybe I'll make time, you know. Oh, and I have two podcasts, uh, the Danko Jones podcast and the Regal Beagle podcast, which you've been on many yep. times on yep. one of them and twice on the other one. I'm part of the brigade. The br- Black Coffee Brigade along with Duff McKagan. Aforementioned. Uh, Marty Friedman, uh, Nick Flanagan. uh Wade McNeil. Wade McNeil, uh, Jim Rhoda from Fireball Ministry. And uh, that's a – Jim makes uh, movies with Dave, girl from the Foos, who had Johnny Depp in his dressing room, who you smoked DMT with. No, I didn't smoke and... DMT with Johnny Depp. I smoked oh, you the... didn't? No, no. I smoked the DMT in the hotel room, then went to the Foo Fighters show and met Johnny Depp. How do you know you, it was Johnny Depp then if you were in D- – oh, because it lasts seven minutes. It lasts seven minutes, yeah. This brings right. us back to the beginning of the conversation. But also right, – uh, Right, <laughs> No, but, but – and also I did follow up the next day because I was in such disbelief that I did text uh, um, you know, the Foo Fighter guys the next day and was like, yo, was Johnny Depp actually there last night? And they're like, yeah, that was actually Johnny Depp. Because well, listen, I, it's a Foo Fighters dressing room. Chances are – yeah, another time oh, in the Foo Fighters dressing room, I met uh, the entire cast of Star Trek. Not the original 60s one, not even the next generation, but the movies. It was just like I walked in, I'm like, holy shit, they're all here. Like, all these people. And, like, tried That's to... Ama- That's amazing. I tried to talk to one of them, and he dicked me, like, big time. Like, this was a good... Yeah, I'm like, oh, wow. All right. You're lucky this isn't my dressing room where I blixa you out of this place, motherfucker. <laughs> That's how it is with Dave Grohl. That's his whole life is, uh, yeah, like the cast of Star Trek. When we recorded at his studio, every th- I was like, at, by the end of it, I was like, I can't handle this because everything in the studio is is a thing. Like a book 
like just hanging like just sitting on a table is not just a book it's first pressing signed by the author yeah yeah like every little thing is a thing we went he they took us to a wine tasting they didn't take us they took me to a wine tasting one day and it was just me the foo fighters and the, the tenacious d guys because they were the opening uh the other opening act on it and uh they they brought out all these fancy fucking wines you know like crazy expensive wines and then we went uh, to this, they brought the like a big grand finale wine. And it was like this wine, they give it to us. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I want to buy a bottle of this. And they're like, okay, well, this is actually uh, really rare. Like, this is the only one we have. And we're giving it to you to try it. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, it's $5,000 a bottle. Wow. It's wow. one bottle of wine. Wow. Like, okay, too rich for my blood. You know, I was going to gift yeah. it to someone. You know? <laughs> I don't think I, you know, like that's their life, you know, that's fame. Yeah. That's like fame. Like that's like dead, dead kin, alive dance living in a castle somewhere. Yeah, living, you know, that's, yeah. that's that true money, that real money shit. I mean, he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to like uh, publicize that, but I'm sure he like bought a couple of bottles of that. Put we it went in to the, the back truck. We went to the wine store afterwards and, uh, you know, like I was like, I was like, you know, it was like executives from the tour. Like fucking the guys from Tenacious T and the Foo Fighters. So, yeah, like everyone was spending money. There was a lot of money being dropped at that point. Like, I think that's why they brought us in. Like, it was one of those scams. Like, oh, come in, try the free $5,000 bottle of wine and drop right. $50,000 in the store behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's nice that you were able to tag along to that. I feel like that was the peak of my career. Like, I, I woke up one day in New Zealand. We were opening for the Foo Fighters, and I'm like, this is it. This is really cool that I know this is it because it's not going to get any bigger than this. And it didn't. That was it. <laughs> it's been a steady decline ever since. You know? I will say I ran into Dave uh, another time. Every time I run into him, you know, he's always like, you know, he's like remembers me and comes up and talks, you know, like he's always like cool. And, you know, we, we go back to talking about some celebrities that aren't and some people in bands that aren't. And, you know, I got to say, he's always been really nice every time I've run into that guy. And, you know, we established, he probably lives in a fucking castle. Dead can dance lives in a castle and Howard Stern lives in a castle. Better be believed. Dave Grohl probably lives in a castle. Howard Stern lives in a castle. I think so. We established that. I think at one point during this long podcast, (laughs) 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 he lives in like a castle in New York city. Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I think that's it. Uh, Yeah. Give us a follow. Give us a follow. All right. Let me see. How do I stop recording? (laughs) (laughs) How do I stop this? Is there any way I can get, I can see the recording as well? Oh, yeah. 100%.